0: Hey, today I want to talk about the future of delivery robots. And to do this, I am joined by Alistair Westgarth, who is the CEO of Starship Technologies. Hi Alistair.
1: Hi, Barnard. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah. Where are you joining us from today?
1: I'm in our San Francisco office today, so in uh, California.
0: Very good. But this accent isn't Californian, right?
1: Oh, very astute. I was born in the UK, actually specifically up by Newcastle and Tynemouth. I lived all my early life in Canada and have uh, been in the US since 1995.
0: Very good, very good. So what brought you to Starship Technology?
1: I used to work at uh, Google. Uh, specifically, I was CEO of the Loon Project, which was a stratospheric balloon project uh, connecting uh, the unconnected around the world. Mm. And I was presented an opportunity uh, out of the blue by a recruiter that said, hey, um, Starship is looking for a uh, CEO. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. I seem to remember Starship from the beginning of the pandemic in Milton Keynes. And it turned out that was correct. And so then I got to meet the founder, uh, Ati Haile. And a number of the team members, and was super intrigued. And after some uh, conversations over a couple of months, uh, we agreed to meeting of the minds, and I agreed to join the team on March thir- uh, March on May thirty first of the of this year. Very good.
0: So tell us a little bit more about Starship and Starship Technologies and what you do.
1: So, Starship is a last mile or last kilometer logistics solution using autonomous vehicles, small robots, uh, about uh, 30 kilo robots that drive down uh, sidewalks or redways typically, uh, occasionally on roads when there is no sidewalk available. Uh, they're optimized to deliver goods within one, two, three kilometers away. Uh, it's a solution where the robots drive themselves. Uh, there are remote operators in the event of a uh, a situation the robot can't resolve with its, own, uh, uh, with its own intelligence, such as maybe a crossing it's never seen before or whatever. But uh, the predominantly drive completely autonomously. Uh, we work with multiple different vendors to deliver food. It could be restaurant food uh, or it could be groceries. Uh, we also are present on a number of college campuses here in the U.S. where we uh, typically just deliver restaurant food because there's many merchants that are uh, providing food for the students on a large campus.
0: Very good. So I live in Milton Keynes. And Milton, was it the first site in the UK where you had those robots
1: live? that was the first commercial site we did a yeah. number of uh, tests in places like london trying to figure out you know where we're we going to be a courier service where we're we going to be a logistics service you know what were the dynamics where it was value to people but mm-hmm. so the first commercial opportunity definitely was milton keats
0: yeah so for me even today when i talk to people that we are using delivery robots to deliver our grocery regularly and deliver takeaway food they still think that this is something out of a science fiction movie, and for us, we are now completely used to this. This is a normal part of our lives. When I sit with my kids watching a movie, they would just naturally say, let's get the robot to get us some snacks. Or when I go out for a run in the evening, I normally meet four, five, six, sometimes more of those robots along the way. So. For me, this has become a completely normal part of our life. So you said that they are operating completely autonomously. How do they work?
1: So the robots have a number of sensors built into them. They have uh, cameras, they have sensors, that uh, radar that can tell whether a vehicle or a bicycle is approaching. They have ultrasonic sensors so they can see curbs and walls and things like that. And that information is fed back to a system that's in a cloud based infrastructure that allows it to say, how do I get from point A to point B? what is the best and safest path that I take. Safety is our number one objective at all times, obviously. And then it also, the software is able to determine, okay, there's a something in front of me, a person, a curb, a, a phone box, you know, how do I get around that? And so by that software, looking at all that telemetry, going into a machine learning environment, it's able to make an intelligent decision about how it should navigate or avoid an obstacle on a, on a continuous basis. As an example, we cross roads probably eighty thousand times a day. When we first started operating in Milton Keynes, we had to do that manually. So literally, somebody would drive the robot across the road. But as we've learned these environments and our software has gotten more and more sophisticated, they now cross the roads mostly by themselves.
0: Fascinating. So out of like. 100 percent deliveries how often do humans take over uh, on, on, on journeys
1: well most of the time they don't take over to be clear they typically you know safety is always our number one priority so if a robot encounters something that it's unsure about it will stop and it will send an alert to our remote operators who will look at it and most of the time they just go that's fine proceed and literally just release the robot that's 90 percent plus of the interactions occasionally say there's a a crossing that's new or a crossing that's highly complex, then the op- remote operator will take over. But ninety-nine percent of the time, they're driving completely autonomously by themselves.
0: Very good. I guess they're learning all the time. I, I correct. Remember, I remember. Correct. I remember going for a run when it was snowing outside, and I was surprised the street was just full of robots. So obviously this was an opportunity for Starship to train their their yep. robots to navigate in completely different scenarios where they can't see the road markings and the curbs and the things as as they would normally do, right?
1: That's a great point. We've, we've driven now 3.6 million kilometers. So it's a significant amount of uh, ground that we've covered, but we also do it 7.24, like all times of the day in the dark, We do it when it's raining, and we do it when it's snowing. When we first encountered snow, as an example, it was something that the robots were not familiar with. It produced different images from the cameras. The the, uh, ultrasonic sensors responded differently. So we had to train our system how to deal with that setup in that environment. Also, some of the items that would block a robot were unique, you know, a pile of snow. You know, that's something that they weren't used to. So we had to tell them what to do when the pile of snow showed up and things like that. But to your point, they're constantly learning. We pull all that data in and we look, we use that data to train the system to be more sophisticated on a go forward basis. So our autonomy today versus, say, three years ago is orders of magnitude much better.
0: Yeah, and I feel that the robot-human interactions are becoming better as well. I remember in the beginning, mm-hmm. robots would just, as soon as you walk anywhere closer, the robot would stop. And now it just carries on, and it knows that it actually it's safe, and it, it just avoids me a little bit. Have you had any real challenges, any issues, accidents? What? it, it throughout the so, process?
1: No, that, that's a great point. So I, I, I keep emphasizing the point that safety is our number one priority. We, we, you know, we watch ourselves. We think of ourselves, you know, like an airline. We've got to make sure that we are as safe as we possibly can make it. And if we're unsure about a situation, stop. So on that point, originally the robots were designed to always drive down the middle of the sidewalk and we realized, okay, that may be able to way we, we can drive the fastest. And if there's nobody on the sidewalk, that's great. But if there's obstacles or people on the sidewalk, we need to move to the side. Mm. So that slowed the robot down, but it also allowed the robot to interact with people and objects more safely. So there's a a classic example where we learn from the real world to change how we operated. You know, we've had occasions where we've bumped into people. We've had occasions where we've bumped into an object, but those are extremely rare and getting rarer all the time. Mm. The robots don't move that quickly, they move you know, on average about five kilometers an hour, the maximum speed is about seven kilometers an hour. And so, you know, any decision we make on, with respect to feet, uh, speed and with respect to how they interact with the environment, including obviously most importantly people and, uh, and, and even pets is, you know, we'll, we'll make a decision that, you know, optimizes safety again versus speed. At the end of the day, so you know what we can do today and what we can do uh, safely get, goes gets better and better and better over time, and we're very proud of our safety record. It's uh, we, you know, we're not perfect, but we're as close to perfect as we can make it, and we're always trying to uh, improve that score.
0: Great, yeah. For me, that's how idea of having autonomous delivery robots even as a futurist who talks to businesses all the time about advances in AI and machine <clears throat> learning and machine vision and the fact that autonomous cars are clearly on the horizon whereas those seem to be slow for me starship robots it are doing this all day long. They're crossing really busy junctions. They're navigating cyclists and pedestrians. And it seems to be working very smoothly. So this is pretty impressive. You know, what
1: are the, if you're based around AI, machine learning, reinforced learning, you know, you can make some very smart decisions in your algorithms and how they behave, but they need data. And, you know, the fact that we've driven, you know, 3.6 million kilometers. The fact that we've done 1.6 million deliveries and piling in more of this information every single day means the system gets better and better. And it gets the speed at which gets, it gets better also improves. So, you know, if you start from ground zero and you deploy these things, you're still going to have to go up this data learning curve because at the end of the day, you're going to probably have to use machine learning to do it. And if you're going to use machine learning, you need tons and tons of real world data.
0: And you've just announced that you're expanding the program with the Retailer Co-op here in the UK. Can you talk more about that?
1: Absolutely. Co-op's been a long-term partner of ours and we're very excited To all the experiences we've had with them, with delivering foods within uh, food within uh, Milton Keynes and Northampton, and we announced a partnership with them where we're expanding that footprint. We're examining the entire UK for expansion, and the, the initial targets are close by in places like Camborne, But we have other cities on the map that we look to go to very, very soon. And this new framework agreement with them, or expanded framework agreement with them, allows us to do that. And you know they. We anticipate we'll be partners with co-op for years and years and years in the future. And this is just a natural outgrowth of everything we've done with them over the last three years. How many robots
0: have you got in operation at the moment?
1: On a worldwide basis, we have uh, in excess of a thousand uh, robots and we're easily doubling that every year. Very good.
0: So, where do you see the future of all of this going? Because you said in the beginning, you're not quite sure. Is it grocery delivery? Is it takeaway delivery? Is it a courier service? I know that I can have my Amazon parcels delivered by Starship robot. So, where do you see all of this going in the future?
1: Yeah, one of the challenges that we had. In the early days was figuring out where was the early product market fit where could we provide value to society such that we were economically viable and people would continue to use us, you know over and over and over again and we very quickly concluded that groceries from like a co-op or other grocers, like here in the u.s uh, save mart as an example and uh, restaurant food that had to be delivered in you know less than 30 less than 20 mi- minutes were all segments that fit together well they were complementary because if you look in Milton Keynes, there's the grocery stores and there's also the food stores. Likewise, you know we're seeing that on a on a global basis. There's a community between those two uh, two ecosystems. So first of all, we're going to expand more and more of that within the UK, within the US, within Europe. We have some new properties coming online in Europe in the in the very very near future, as an example. Now, if we look into other segments, whether it's uh, You know pharmacies whether it's uh, packaged goods and things like that we'll consider that but probably you know that will be in years and sometime in the future so right now it's more a case of getting more geographies more groceries more restaurant food because that's the the area where it's we know the model we know how to scale the model we know how to build the model and so once we get more of that under our feet we'll consider other opportunities as well
0: what are your future predictions of robots in the supply chain. Obviously, there are now autonomous delivery trucks, there are autonomous Mm -hmm. planes and ships. Do you see a better integration between some of the other delivery robots and what Starship is doing? Where do you see them fitting into the future? And what do you see as some of the key challenges that that we as a society need to address to really have this autonomous
1: future where robots play an even bigger part? That's a superb question. You know, we want a large, healthy, thriving business. Um, But we also are very practical that logistics is multimodal. You know, we have no intention of delivering a Sprinter Vans level of uh, packages and and material over a, say, 10 kilometer, 20 kilometer distance. There's a a need for that. And uh, there's ways to provide that. Some of it is, you know, all of it today pretty much is manual. And probably that will become more automated in the future. So first of all, we see multimodal. You know there you could even see flying drones there's a number of companies that do that uh, Come to the equation as well for say remote or difficult uh, Areas to serve so multimodal first of all But also more and more autonomy against each one of those levels of modes, Mm -hmm. you know It's very difficult to scale these things economically with purely human driven options You know, I know in the UK and we see it here in the US as well. There's a huge issues with uh, Uh, quality of employment for some of the gig workers Uh, we believe that uh, you know not only do you need to be employed for a living wage but you need to have a quality experience during that employment and we try to very very hard to do that within within Starship itself so there's challenges there We, we think that it's much easier to scale a especially the last mile delivery model using an autonomous approach. It's more economical because our cost of every delivery goes down over time. Also, we believe there's more and more employment opportunity as we bring these higher higher value solutions to the equation such that, you know, we hire people in our hubs in the UK. We hire people for field assistance. We hire people for providing service to the merchant. So we think we're raising the the overall quality of the uh, employment experience as well. The other dynamic is that if I look, I'll use the college examples in the US is if they did not have an autonomous solution on a campus, there's just. Physically, no way you could hire enough people to run around and do this, even if the the job was of the level and quality that you, they would want. There's just too much going on in that very compressed space. So I think, you know, if you think of a, a, about a bank today, most people don't even go into the bank. They go to the automated teller machine to pull out their money, deposit their checks, etc. 20 years ago, there was a lineup at the door at the bank. It's somewhat analogous to that. You know, we're trying to deliver goods to people in an efficient and effective manner whereby we're adding to the value chain versus taking away from the value chain. So I think it's a very bright future. We'll see autonomous vehicles delivering things on the road. We'll see more on the sidewalks. We'll see other options like drones, as I mentioned as well. And You know, we want to be part of that future
0: whenever you talk about robots or automating anything, you always have people saying, Okay, this is really scary, because basically what you're doing is you're taking other people's jobs. And Mm -hmm. I think you started making the point that actually, hopefully you will, in the process, create better jobs for people. Exactly. Um, And and the point I often make is the jobs that we're automating is probably not the jobs that human beings should be doing. At the same time, those are jobs that give people a living at the moment. They're doing it. They're obviously scared that they might lose this. So uh, how do you respond to those kind of criticisms?
1: You know, it's a very complicated uh, dynamic that we're trying to address. On one hand, we have a shortage of uh, workers to do some of these functions, and we're looking to offset that dynamic. We're also trying to make the whole value chain profitable for all parties. You know, value to the consumer, Profitable for the supplier and profitable for the logistics element, which obviously we occupy at the same time. The other thing that we believe very, you know, in our heart of hearts that as we bring in new technology that makes experience um, more efficient and more value add to you, that you add to the employment base on a more uh, hopefully personally satisfying and personally uh, uh, living wage level. So we're adding to employment, although we're migrating employment. And, you know, at the end of the day, You know, we we hope that the number of jobs we create offsets the number of jobs that maybe get, you know, offset by autonomous delivery, because if we look through the history as efficiency and autonomy comes in, the economy grows, there's more jobs created, number of jobs do change. You know there's always the there's the obvious example there's no stagecoach drivers but there's car drivers right you know at the end of the day there will be more people you know taking care of our robots there'll be more people providing services to the merchants that we deliver goods to there'll be people you know hopefully programming our software there'll be people developing our applications on, on uh, handheld phones and, and tablets and things like that at the end of the day so employment will change but we believe overall it will go up
0: very good so i've got three kids what would you recommend they focus on in terms of skills to make them employable in the future?
1: You know, I have three children as well, and I always tell them, you know, do something you're passionate about, do something that motivates you. Um, you know, I'm an engineer by background, so anything STEM it, it tends to uh, be uh, be very, very important to me. Um, you know, understanding your maths, your physics, and all of those things where you're, you're creating, I think is very valuable, but by the same token, you know, liberal arts are extremely important to the quality of life at the end of the day. And, you know, I love to go to theater. I love to listen to music. Those are just important as well. So do something you're passionate about, do something where you can provide for yourself and your family, obviously, but do something that, you know, you can provide for society as well. And it will cut the, across the spectrum of, you know, STEM based things, which as an engineer, that's where I came from. But I also have, have a daughter that happens to be in the cosmetology field Mm -hmm. and she has clients out the door. And what she provides value to society is just as good as what I provide as an engineer to society. So at the end of the day, do something that you're passionate about, do something that adds value for your family, do something that adds value for society. That's what I try and tell my three children.
0: Fantastic, what a great recommendation. Thank you so much for your time today, Alistair. That was so enjoyable, I could go on forever, but I think we need to find another time to carry on this conversation. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you Bernard, it's been a pleasure talking with you.